Hello and welcome to COVID Stories, a podcast series regarding leadership following the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm your host, Dallas Emerson, Director of Business Development at the IT Guys. Before we get started, these interviews were conducted during the COVID lockdown and were held over Microsoft Teams. Any sound quality issues are the result of social distancing that we're all too familiar with. If you're listening on our site, we're thrilled to have you, but you might find it easier to listen to COVID stories through iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Joining me today is Stephen Stout, Executive Director of the Texas Society of Association Executives. How are you doing, Stephen? Good, Dallas. How are you? I'm doing just fine. So, you know, this is kind of the baseline question I open up with everybody, uh, which is how did you know that something was going to have to change or how did you know that this was not just uh, an aggressive flu season that we were hearing about? Right. Um, for us, you know, we follow, uh, especially at operationally, we follow a lot of the school districts. So with our PTO policies and as well as our, um, you know, days off or emergency closures, when we started seeing the schools, um, say that they were going to be closing uh, for now. It was interesting because in Austin, uh, it was around the time spring break was happening. Right. So we didn't have to worry about that week until the, then the government started talking. Uh, the local government started talking about shelter in place and working from home. Um, so we erred on the side of caution. And though I don't think it was mandated at the time because spring break was technically going on for the school districts, we went ahead and stayed home the week of spring break. And then after that, we haven't seen each other, I think, since like March 11th. Um, so that's kind of no, what we knew. And, and seeing the the response so quickly from the government, local governments was kind of a tell-all that, you know, I've, I've never seen anything like this, and I can't think of the last time we've had to do something like this. So um, that's when it was kind of, for lack of a better term, special, that it was going to be a very, uh, uh, this is more serious than we thought it was going to be. So, uh, yeah, that's probably the first. When the school district started announcing closures for weeks on end after spring break and then the local government's talking about shelter in place, that's when we knew, okay, we need to come up with a plan operationally to uh, maintain what we're doing. Now, you're kind of in a unique position that you're an association of associations. Uh, so right. did you start to hear about this from other members just a little bit at a time, like around the edges uh, before the shelter in place became official? Yeah, so it was interesting. We had a couple members who had actually their annual conventions um, early March. So, um, you know, this all kind of started taking there. Were, I, th- I think the rumor mill started sort of buzzing about this kind of end of February. Um, and then, um, of course, everything started going into place rather quickly mid-March. So there's a couple of organizations that had their annual conventions in early March and had to sort of weigh that um, with the limited information we had at the time about this. Um, should we proceed? Should we not proceed? And a lot of them did proceed. So they kind of got in under the gun. Um, so that's kind of we were watching those sort of rumor mills talking about the COVID uh, pandemic. And then, of course, watching our friends who were having those annual conventions, because as we all know associations rely on annual conventions for probably the largest portion percentage of their annual uh, budget. So these folks got in right under the gun. But then, of course, they're dealing with new situations now. You know, um, what about those uh, that had less traffic because people were some some companies were starting to furlough right then and there or start restricting essential travel. Um, so despite they had their meetings prior to the closures, those folks were dealing with a completely different set of problems Whereas, you know, the, the members wanted to attend, but their company wouldn't allow them. Um, then, of course, you have your exhibitors who have lighter traffic. So how do you 
um, deal with that. And then, of course, post-event, um, you deal with people who want a refund because there was less traffic or um, you start biting your nails and hoping, you know, cause, again, because we didn't have the information we have now, that no one contracted the disease during our annual convention. Um, so watching those guys sort of be a case study for all of us was very helpful. Um, and of course, uh, waiting a bated breath to see how they sort of handled themselves. And it was just really interesting to talk to those groups because, you know, as coming home, returning home for those events, that's when the world kind of stopped. So those poor people, um, if you can imagine leading, you know, we all, when we lead conferences, we all get into these, this conference mode is, I think is what we lovingly call it. Um, and coming out of conference mode and then never going back to the office again for months at a time. Um, so that watching those groups was very interesting. Um, and I think that helped us sort of pivot and in a ways we needed to, um, because as they were holding their events, more information was coming out. Um, so yeah, it was really interesting to watch how different groups handled it. Um, and some, and some are great examples of how to do things. And of course, we're all just sort of getting the blind leading the blind, um, trying to get through this, but they're having to deal with much different issues than those that of us that had to cancel or postpone our meetings because they hadn't happened yet. So those that actually got in under the gun are having a lot more unique challenges than everybody else. So when this is all said and done, it's going to be very fascinating because it'll be a great case study um, in sort of how how um, associations are able to pivot so quickly, if possible, and so to kind of see, like, you know, if this were to ever happen again, let's hope it never does. But how do we handle something like this going forward? Is there, you know, how can we better prepare? Yes. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to note just to anybody who's listening that none of those associations who held their events, none of those have been traced as an outbreak or anything like that. So we're all <laughs> right. Good. Yes. Yes. Or is that, yeah, very lucky. Yeah. Very fortunate. Someone who, uh, who had had their, their, their big meeting early March and felt the need. Okay. Let's make sure that this is very clear to anybody. You know, it was a, it was yeah. a calculated <laughs> risk and it was just fine as it turns out. Yeah. So, Back to TSAE itself, your organization, how did that transition go from, you know, kind of working every day as you always have to suddenly no one can be in the office? Yeah, for us, it was a, it was actually fairly seamless. We had already implemented where um, the executive team on the staff could work one day a week virtually um, sort of as an employee benefit. Um, so uh, but moving um, and but I think what you the only thing that's a little bit challenging and moving completely virtual is because we are such a small office of six people, um, we're incredibly collaborative with each other. So a lot of the stuff that we execute or even come up with uh, happen on, out of like hallway conversations. Um, so how do you have hallway conversations when there are no, are no hallways? So uh, coming, being more creative in that aspect, but on the technology side of things, you know, honestly, it wasn't that hard. Um, we were already set up in a good way for that. Um, I think the only um, caveat is we had to set up our administrative staff to do that, to be set for that, because they're usually in the office full time. Um, but, yeah, what's great is, you know, our um, we were set up securely and we were set up um, operationally to be able to do what we need to do from our computers, whether wherever they are, because um, we had had this conversation with our IT provider, which happens to be the IT guys, full disclosure. Um, but we we travel quite a bit on the road when we're, we're when things are normal. We're always on the road. So um, it's really important for us to be able to access anything we need while on the road and still make sure things are moving forward. So having that mentality pre covid has helped us operate efficiently during covid. That makes a lot of sense. And, I, and that's something that 
I kind of have to tell people. In fact, I wrote something for TSAE about that topic of it. it it's hard to just suddenly make that transition from uh, if you were always in a uh, in the office and then you suddenly want to always work outside the office, unless you had experience beforehand, it's really hard to make that quick transition. Yeah, we were fortunate. You know, we t- we did it very strategically. We did it very methodically. Um, and, of course, in, in conjunction with RT experts, you know, um, it wasn't, you know, when we did change to that sort of format, it wasn't in a day. I mean, it took weeks and weeks of planning to sort of adjust um, our operations to op- to be able to do those types of uh, work out on the road. So I can't imagine having, like, saying on a Friday, um, everyone having to be in the office on Monday, suddenly everyone has to be out. Um, that must have been very hard for those that weren't set up that way. I, I can only imagine. And you brought something up that I, I want to touch on really quickly, um, which is smaller organizations. I think people assume it'd be easier to coordinate a smaller organization, you know, six staff, seven staff, uh, versus coordinating a larger office. But do you think that you face a or smaller organizations face a unique challenge in that uh, there's, you can't just silo people. Everybody was always mm-hmm. wearing multiple hats already. Right. I do. I do. Yeah. You know, it's also hard too as an association leader, um, you, you very carefully and methodically craft your staff culture. Um, in your organization as the leader, mm-hmm. you have completely online and you're a collaborative office your fear is that you'll lose that culture that you've worked so hard to maintain a happy workplace for your staff and just an opportunity for people to brainstorm. Um, so yeah, I think there are some unique challenges to small groups because um, we do wear so many hats. Um, we don't have entire departments of people working in one area. Um, we all kind of do a little bit of everything. So, but how do you do a little bit of everything without stepping on someone else's toes? Who's also doing a little bit of everything. Um, so constant communication has, has been, very important. I think it's really um, this opportunity has really helped us learn how to communicate better with each other in a, in a virtual aspect, you know, because um, instead of being able to like, you know, go to someone's doorway in their office and say like, hey, I just wanted to like run something past you or brainstorm with you for a little bit. You have to like, hey, I want to set up a call, a, a Teams call or a Zoom call to talk about this. Do you have time? When's a good time? So learning how to navigate, make that shift from being able just to knock on the door and walk in to um, scheduling things in advance has been, that's probably been the hardest thing for us, especially as a small group, because we're so reliant on each other's ideas and, and sort of expertise that um, I think even more from the small group, um, that's kind of where we, uh, I guess that's our one of our strengths is that we are able to utilize everybody in different aspects of the organization. Uh, meaning, you know, education can give, can give ideas on membership or marketing can give ideas on, you know, how to collect finances or accounts payable. So it's just, it's been but a little bit challenge, I think, of trying to make sure to maintain that culture as well as maintain that collaborative spirit um, during a time when we can't all physically be together. Right. There was a little bit of a, of a breakup in, in that, uh, that answer. I lost a couple of seconds. But, you know, you're talking about maintaining that culture. What steps as a leader do you have to take to try to maintain that that culture that, as you said, you, you, you so painstakingly cultivated. Well, um, you know, a lot of, uh, and I'm, uh, you know, you see it on social media. We started, um, staff happy hours, you know, every, every Friday we do a virtual happy hour, um, uh, from three to four. And what we do on those happy hours, we have about three rules. We have, uh, one that we do not talk about work. 
Um, <laughs> we have staff meetings for those. Uh, we have department meetings for those. Um, we only talk about um, things outside of the office. Uh, so um, also we don't, there's no need to dress up, um, you know, uh, for uh, the meeting. And then of course, uh, loved ones and fur babies that sort of walk in the background or interrupt are more than welcome. So it's, it's been nice because we get a chance to sort of, um, I guess, decompress with each other. Um, as, as I'm sure you during all of this has seen the news. And if you're constantly watching that, it's hard not to feel a little heavy and weighted after watching the news. So those Fridays are kind of a nice way to go into the weekend. Um, and it's nice because um, it's not a forced conversation. You know, we talk about anything from like, what are, what is everyone watching on Netflix to um, where did you find your toilet paper? Um, those types of questions. So it's nice that we get a chance just to be with each other. And I think that helps us throughout the week to be a little more um, focused when we have our business one-on-ones um, because we know like if we're going to deviate from conversation, we can say like, Oh, let's save that for the happy hour on Friday. Um, so that's kind of been very helpful for us. Um, and I want to make sure the team feels comfortable talking to each other because, you know, the, the goal is for them to still have meetings on their own without everybody in attendance. Right. So right. Um, I don't want to lose that connection with each other, especially being so small and so reliant on each other's um, creativity. So I want to make sure that that fosters, we continue to foster that because eventually we hope to come back together. So I don't want to have to like rebuild that from square one. Um, so I'm hoping that's a little bit uh, one step in sort of maintaining that culture because um, it is so important, especially in such a small group. Um, we all rely on each other so much for so many things and I would just hate to have to go backwards. I like I like the, the concept there of mandatory fun. No business. Yes, yeah, business. yes, exactly. I mean, that's the business we have to do, right? So um, it's just a way to, you know, I mean, we I, we're all watching the news. Everyone's watching. Everyone's worried about, you know, the the news, the the disease itself, of course, financials, the economy. Um, we get enough of that every other day of the week. So uh, we use that one hour a week to sort of decompress and, and laugh and joke with each other. And, and we do actually, you know, we drink alcohol. We Everyone brings their favorite drink, and we talk about, like, well, what are you drinking today? You know, some people get creative and have a different drink every time, and some people drink, old, you know, Old Faithful each time. So we talk about big conversation, what everyone's drinking to kick off, and then we sort of just dive into, you know, all the things everyone kind of talks about when you're not talking about the diseases. You know, what are you binge watching? How are you keeping your sanity? How many walks have you taken in your neighborhood? Those types of things. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're taking those proactive steps. Uh, I think that's essential right now. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's actually. Um, I think I just lost you for a second there. Oh, I'm here. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, it's it's all right. So during this time, is there a a tool or a service you've leaned on more than anything else? You know, like a, for a lot of people, it's been Zoom, for example. Is there something you can point to and been like, yep, without that, I don't know where we'd be? Yeah, so I would say Slack. Slack's been very important to us. Um, we've been on Slack for a couple of years now, and we've used it, obviously, when we were physically in the office. But um, you know, again, being so small, if, if we truly had a deep question, we can just get up and walk to someone's office and ask them. But uh, Slack has kind of been imperative for us um, because it also eliminates unnecessary meetings. Um, you know, we can have a channel for something and then talk about that on the channel instead of creating a Zoom call, someone getting worried about the background or, you know, the Internet going in and out, um, you know, because it's so um, at homes, you can't really 
rely on the home internet very much because it wasn't really made for this type of traffic, right? So, uh, yeah, Slack's been very helpful, obviously, just like everyone else, Zoom, but, um, yeah, Slack's been really important for us. I've, it's been, um, any kind, I think any kind of inter, inter office messenger is just really, um, probably take on a new life during all of this because it just eliminates a lot of emails. It eliminates, um, a lot of, like I said, a lot of unnecessary meetings. So, uh, we've been very fortunate that Slack has shown its worth, especially even more so during the pandemic. Awesome. So in your, from your perspective, uh, do you think that the COVID crisis for your organization or for organizations in general, is it primarily a technology problem and that it, you know, it exposes the weaknesses in our technology or is it primarily a people problem and that it exposes mm-hmm. the weakness in our interconnectedness? Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because I think depending on what, what you wanted to look at, you could be an argument for both. Um, technology is so important to how we operate now. Um, there are so many different ways that technology plays a role in what we do. And I think you don't fully appreciate or understand that until something like this happens. Um, you know, when you're like, oh, I'll just go set up this in the database. Like, oh, wait, you know, I can't because I don't have that database access. Go to that area or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it is a, it also a people problem because like I talked about, um, you want to make sure your employees are, first off, you want to make sure your employees have something to do. Um, you know, cause there's only so much, maybe there may be only so much you can do virtually. Um, and then also again, talking about how to keep the connectedness amongst the staff. And, and when we're all working different hours, you know, and although the office quote unquote is open eight to five, I mean, I, I mean, let's be honest, we're all putting in weird hours, you know, no one's doing working eight to five that I know of. Um, you know, if anything, uh, we're working much later or much earlier, forgetting to have lunch or realizing it's dinner time and you should have been done like two hours ago <laughs> or having our loved ones remind us it's dinner time, you know? So, um, I think that's hard is finding that balance of, you know, now the expectation since we're all connected all the time, what's the expectation of, uh, response times or, um, executing, uh, deadlines, you know, is, when, when, or when am I officially off work? Um, and it's hard. Some people, and some people who have nailed and, and is very successful at working from home and have for many years, think it's a lot easier for them. But those of us who have been sort of thrust into this space very quickly, it is a lot harder to sort of delineate, um, where is work and where is personal? Um, because, you know, there's so much time on your hands, uh, and, you know, you, you're not really, you can't go anywhere. So, um, you're like, I guess I'll just work some more um, until I don't feel like working anymore. So the hours are very skewed. So I think I really do think it's a people and technology issue. So um, I think we're learning a lot, both about our who our resilience as people. And I think as a leader of an organization, it's actually a great way to see sort of, um, if you will, a sort of a true test of like various staffs, like sort of dedication to the organization. Right. So um, there are some people, you know, obviously we've all worked at places where some people uh, uh, get by with doing the status quo. Um, but it's really uh, inspirational to see the team sort of um, pitch new ideas and innovations um, for how we can pivot and be uh, still be a resource to our members. What I think is probably the most exciting thing about all of this, if there is a silver lining, is that to see what innovation will come out of this time. Um, because so many associations are having to deviate from their as usual plans. Um, it's forcing us to sort of um, look at the big picture and strategically alter what we offer at, at all times. Right. So and associations, unfortunately, are notoriously for not being on the cutting edge of everything. 
Um, but it's nice that I feel like this is kind of forcing us to have that conversation, whether at the board level or amongst the staff. Um, so it's actually, I'm a little excited to see when we finally do come out of this, what changes will be implemented in sort of an operational structure in associations. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, this is going to lead to, or a lot of organizations, I should say, a, a greater, I think there's a lot of, I guess what I'm saying, what I'm seeing in the world, is there's a lot of people before this who were looking at it and going, maybe we could work from home more regularly, maybe we could, but we don't want to inflict that pain on ourselves, and now we're in a world of pain, so might as well. And yeah. <laughs> what we're finding is, oh no, this works pretty well, my staff yeah. can do this, my staff can handle this. So I think that's a good thing that we're seeing. Yeah, uh, I'd be curious to see how many people uh, maintain their office space after all this, right? Yeah. Like how many people decide that, like, you know what, we can work virtually, so we don't need an office, an expensive rent or building to maintain. Um, so that'll be interesting when we all come back to see how those changes affect us in the next few years. I was uh, speaking with somebody up in DFW who said uh, she's warning all of her friends in real estate, get out of commercial real estate as quickly as you can, because when, yeah. when uh, the leases are up, people are out. Yeah, we, for sure. We, we, do, we can work pretty effectively from home. Yeah. So, you know, you touched a little bit on, on trying to maintain your office culture. Is there what has been the greatest management challenge you've had to deal with personally during this lockdown? Um, I think the, for me, it's um, twofold. Right. One is my staff. I want to make sure my staff um, are safe and I want to make sure my staff are productive um, and I want to feel, make sure my staff feel comfortable, um, you know, because like I said, we're all watching the news on a daily basis. And if you get sort of sucked into that black hole, it's sometimes hard to get out of. Um, and then, of course, the members, too. You want to we're trying to make sure that the resources we're offering are beneficial to members and making sure that it doesn't um, you know, that we're pivoting and offering resources that are relevant right now, because um, I feel like if, you know, say you had a you know, a session on contracts, but don't talk about conference cancellations at all, I think feel like it might seem like your head's in the sand, right? Because that's kind of what a lot of people are dealing with. Um, so kind of keeping that pulse on the membership to kind of hear what the, the issues are. Um, and then, of course, just making sure the staff are productive, safe, and healthy. Um, that's been the biggest challenge because as a leader, you always want to make sure um, you always want to think you have the answers, right? And everyone looks to you for the answers. Uh, but Again, no one's ever been through something like this. So there's nothing to model after. Um, there's nothing to uh, that you can measure yourself against um, because everyone's kind of asking each other, well, what are you guys doing? Um, well, what are you guys doing? Which is great because that's kind of how associations play a role in their industries, right? We are connectors, so we bring people together. Um, so our, we want to make sure we have offer a lot of opportunities for that to happen because we're not saying that we as TSE or the Association for Associations or our organization has the answers because we don't, um, but we can connect you to people who may have started to figure it out. And that's kind of the model that we want to keep um, in front of people's heads and why important it is how that's why associations are so important. No matter what industry you serve, we bring people together um, virtually or in person and uh, people can get those ideas and get those sort of um, assurances that, you know, hey, you're doing okay. Like allow yourself some grace to like accept that no one's ever done this before and we're doing the best we can. And that even just hearing that from other people who are in your space makes you feel better. And it, I think it gives you a little more confidence to continue your leadership uh, style or your leadership um, plan. It's just, it's very fortunate um, to have sort of a group like that to belong to. And that's why I think association will stay, will play a key role in all of this. 
And for the record, uh, everybody I've spoken to so far has specifically mentioned TSAE as one of the things oh, that, they are, that they are leaning on and that they encourage. They said, if you're not a member of TSAE, sign up. Uh, everybody I've spoken to so far has said oh, that. Oh, great. So, that's great. Uh, that wasn't just a self-serving answer. It was a that's, <laughs> that's legitimate uh, uh, input there, just to anybody great. who thought, well, of course you'll say TSAE is good. Uh, no, they, they really are doing great work. So... Stephen, for you personally, as the uh, executive director of TSAE, what is what has been the easiest part of transition transition to shelter in place and the hardest part? Uh, For me, I feel like the easiest part is um, really the technology transition, because we were already set up for success in that space. So um, we were already doing um, allowing staff to have one day uh, of telecommuting telecommuting. We're working from home virtually, so to convert from one day to five days a week wasn't that big of a challenge for us um, outside of a couple, one or two staff who hadn't um, been set up for that, uh, like our, our administrative assistant who normally works in the office, but um, we got her set up pretty quick. So I would say the technology aspect actually has been very easy. Um, one another one of the challenges, though, and you don't think about this, is um, when you know you're relying on a lot of people's home Wi-Fi networks. Um, which are not set up for, um, you know, everyone around them, their neighbors, whether they're in apartments or on streets, to all be on the Wi-Fi at the same time, on the same channels, um, things like that. So that's been somewhat challenging, especially from my own experience, um, you know, because uh, obviously my neighbors are working from home. Um, I have a household of some people working from home. So all of us sharing, you know, the same times and trying to plan Zoom calls around each other so we're not taking up the bandwidth or what have you. Um, and so that's been somewhat challenging, but also, um, I think, I think this might stem for a lot of association people. We are people, people. So we like to engage with people. We sort of thrive off of it. Um, it sort of helps push us creatively and, and, and even strategically, uh, and not being able to have that sort of, um, engagement outside of a box and on the screen is a little hard for people, uh, like myself, but, um, I'm making the shift. I've been, um, getting used to the, people in the boxes to help me be more creative and uh, more um, strategic in an operations standpoint. Um, so that's been helpful. Uh, but I, I look forward to the day where we can all be in the same room again. Oh my gosh. Don't we all, you know, kind of on that home Wi-Fi, home internet aspect, uh, something that's come up in a couple of other conversations I've had, and I kind of just want to get your perspective on it. Do you think that what we're going to see more of in the future is uh, organizations, associations in this case, but just businesses in general, uh, more likely to start subsidizing, uh, their staff's internet, uh, internet connections to guarantee, cause there's a lot of people who work in rural areas, for example. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as, uh, in the future becoming a more common practice? I think so, um, only because I've, I've talked to a few other leaders of associations or various organizations who have now realized that they can do their work from home. Um, so, you know, a lot of those who have office leases or what have you and um, that are quite expensive, especially in uh, where we're headquartered in Austin, Texas, um, you know, the, those downtown Austin uh, rentals can be lease agreements can be astronomical and a good large percentage of operations budget of any association. So I feel like for those of us that can, um, people might start looking at when the release renewals come up that it's time to maybe shift everyone to home. And in that, of course, you have to sort of consider um, what's everyone's home situation like. 
you can't assume everyone's the same across the board, right? So I feel like there will be some opportunities or even some strategic discussions about um, as a as an organization and as a, a leader, what are we responsible for on our staff end for IT in, in their homes? Um, you know, I know a lot a lot of people are already sort of subsidizing. The, you know, I think it took a while, but people started subsidizing cell phones for a different organization. So I can easily see internet being the next, um, especially like you were saying, uh, for those of us that are sort of dispersed across town, um, some who live in very urban areas and some who live, you know, heck, we're Texas. So some people might live out on land uh, on a ranch, but they just drive into downtown every day. Um, so what, what would that look like? And how do you proportion that um, fairly and equally as well? Um, you know, for those that need maybe a grander setup um, because they don't have those kinds of services in the areas they are, uh, for those that sort of live in the urban areas where it's already kind of set up for that anyway. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely see that as a strategic discussion that a lot of organizations will probably start having, I would say, maybe not as soon as we get back, but maybe in the next two to three years for sure, um, just because uh, it's an, a new reality we are we're kind of forced to live in, and now it's become sort of convenient for a lot of us. And some people are, like we talked um, earlier, some people are being really successful in working from home. So, um, and, and thrive that way. So I can definitely see it as an option for associations and organizations to have that conversation. And so if you could go back in time, you know, we had talked a little bit about when we really first started hearing about it, kind of that late February, maybe early March. If you could go back in time and, and see Stephen Stout, uh, circa February 20th. Mm-hmm. And you could warn yourself, you could get one message back. What would you tell yourself? What would you warn yourself about the coming days? Um, I would tell myself that uh, it is okay to not have all of the answers. Um, I think that is probably the hardest thing to accept, especially in our role. Uh, we want to help our association succeed and survive, essentially. Um, and when we don't know what to do, people get um, nervous because they a lot of us, people look to us for the answers. Um, so we allowing our, ourselves some grace to not know exactly what to do every time we get a question. But um, I'm really proud of the stuff we put out um, and the communication we've been making with our membership about um, also sort of reflecting that message back on them. Like, it's OK that you don't know what to do right now. There is no handbook or guidebook or white paper you can read that would prepare you for something like this. We're all sort of dealing with this as it comes. And, you know, for type A personalities, that is a really hard thing to accept because we're all planners, right? We all want to look at the future. We want to plan. We don't want to know what's happening tomorrow. And with this thing changing daily, even hourly at some points, um, and that's been a very hard thing to accept. But I would tell my old self that allow myself some grace to sort of fumble through this to figure out what's the best course of action for our organization and our members. I think I think you really hit on something there. And, and it's kind of something we talked about earlier and I think association executives in particular fall in like this Venn diagram of doom in this case. You're people people, mm-hmm. you're type A people, uh, <laughs> and so you're in this place where you can't be around people and you can't plan. Right. Uh, so you're just in this perfect like uh-oh, uh, overlap zone of <laughs> uh, you can't do the things that you love and you're stuck. Yes, it truly is the apocalypse for us right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was promised zombies or vampires. Yes, I, I much prefer those. Much prefer those. I'm stuck at home with potato chips. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's a given that our world is going to be different 
even after all of this is you know, whatever whatever wrapped up means or whatever um, normal looks like, it's a given that we're not going to just go back to how things were. So how will your world change? How will TSEE's world change? And then how do you see the association world changing? So kind of three three yeah. decades. I think um, what we're hearing from our members, which we're really thrilled about, is that they're anxious to see each other. Um, so when TSAE, for TSE specifically, when we come back and we are able to come back to meet together, I think there will be uh, an explosion of meetings. Um, I think people will want to be together. You know, it's interesting because um, I, I'm reading all these things about, you know, if and when we do come back together, uh, you know, social distancing will be a thing. Um, you know, we might not be able to hug each other as much as we want. We might have to do, you know, air high fives or what have you to kind of avoid um, that kind of interaction. So I think that will be our toughest challenge because, you know, um, I mean, we're Texas and people like to hug. People like to handshake, pat on the back, what have you, with people they haven't seen or, or especially with such a long time between when we've seen each other in person to when we will again. Um, that will be the hardest thing probably for us to implement to our members is to like, you know, maintain social distancing, but be very happy to see each other. Um, but seriously, well, though, and, and, think- and for the record, uh, I'm not sure if it's a Texas thing or an association thing, because I've worked with a lot of different organizations yeah. and association people are huggers. Yes, yes, they are. And so it's um, that will be a challenge. But really just making sure that um, when we do come back together for TSAE anyway, that. Um, our members have the tools they need to sort of move forward. Um, cause I think we were talking earlier about a lot of innovation that will come out of this time period. Um, and I think they're industry wise, it'll be very interesting to see how, um, events will take place in the future, right? So you're already seeing like a lot of people pivot to go from live annual conventions to virtual annual conventions. Um, and I've seen some discussions where the fear is now that um, members or their attendees are like, oh, this is really cool and easy. Let's just do it this way forever. Um, whereas, you know, which eliminates a lot of uh, possible sponsorship opportunities and, and you know, a, an actual physical trade show. Um, so that's interesting. I'll be interested to see how that sort of pans out. But also, I think it'll be interesting to see what the hospitality industry comes up with for the different, how they're reacting to um, coming back to normal. Like you were saying, for lack of a better term, new normal, um, you know, will Will buffets even be an option anymore? Will that be out the window? You know, are we, are we allowed to have 10 people at a round table? Does it have to be limited to six? You know, um, it'll just be very interesting to see how the hospitality and travel industry respond to it. Um, cause we all know they want to get back to work and we want them to get back to work because obviously that's success for us, but it'll be interesting working together to sort of carve out these new rules where people feel safe to be together. Um, as well as it's beneficial for the organization. So, yeah, there's a couple of challenges and, and things I'm, ex- I'm interested to see how we um, sort of revive from all this. But um, I actually am pretty excited about the opportunities that gives us a chance to be more collaborative with our vendor partners on how to uh, keep our attendees and our members safe um, when we do come together. So and I think that's all they want, too. So it'll be I think from our partnerships will come good things. And I, I think I I, I kind of, I'm of two minds about what you brought up of the uh, the maybe we'll just transition to all virtual conferences because I think there is a lot or there's a lot of people out there champing at the bit to just let me be around people again. Yeah. But yeah. it was very convenient. I recently partook in a virtual conference. I didn't have to travel 
four hours to get mm-hmm. to another city to go speak. I just woke up in the morning, made my coffee, sat down and started talking. And yep. so I, I could, I hadn't considered that that could just become the new normal. That's right. a little unsettling. Yeah, it's interesting. And if you remember a few years ago, maybe even 10 years ago when, uh, webinars were even introduced, right? There was a lot of fear and talk that webinars would replace live in-person events. But this is the end of the live in-person event as we know it. And obviously that did not happen. We learned to coexist with webinars as well as live in-person events. So I'm hoping in this aspect, there'll be a, another way we can coexist with each other. Um, whether that be a hybrid event where you offer some virtual, some in-person, um, or uh, you offer virtual opportunities at your annual during the live event. Um, just uh, it'll be interesting to see how we sort of stem over this hill like we did at webinars when they were introduced like, what, 10, 12 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I'm curious. And so I, this is my last question for you. Uh, for anyone out there who feels completely lost or like they have no idea where they're going, what they're doing, what they're supposed to do, uh, I guess for any association executive out there, if you could offer them just a little bit of advice, what would you say? Um, I would say um, less is more. Um, you know, when we first started during all this, I think a lot of us were thinking like, what message should we get to our members? What can we do for our members? How do we get in front of our members since we can't meet in person? Um, and I, I feel like um, a lot of people discovered that initially a lot of people didn't have time to sort of read those types of emails, you know, or those types of notifications because they're trying to figure out their own space, you know, what their industry looks like now because of all the restrictions that have been put on all of us. Um, so I think, um, you know, one time at one point we were looking at some messaging we were sending out and it's like, wow, this is a lot of messaging all in just a couple of days. Like, do people really have the time right now to read this? Or frankly, do they care right now how we're, you know, um, operating our office here or how we're, um, you know, trying to pivot with uh, different in-person events? Now, not to say they're not interested at all, but maybe they don't need a separate email every single day while they're trying to sort of navigate their new normal. Um, So I think we learned a lot from that and sort of taking a step back and looking at that. So that was very helpful. And then also, again, just to make sure you you realize, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. And I need to look into that. I need to research it. I need to uh, come back to you on that because I feel like we're all, and, and I don't know if this sticks with just associations, but we're also, um, we have a, a servant's heart, right? Where we all want to serve the people that um, we are stakeholders and anyone who's committed to us. But it, I think it's okay to allow yourself to say, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I will look into it and get back to you. Because um, I think that's the hardest thing. We want to just constantly be there for people, um, but we also want to do that in the right way. So just allowing your time some some time to research things and, and get the right answer, because it is certainly, um, there is no shame in saying you don't know something. Um, but I always feel, I would feel less, I would feel more sort of ashamed if I gave the wrong answer just because I wanted to give an answer. So um, allow yourself some time to, you know, collect yourself. And, and then, of course, um, just, you know, just hang in there, man. It's it's a weird world, and we're all trying to figure it out, and, and that's okay. Um, and we'll get there, and then we'll adjust as we need to and move on to the future. That's awesome. Yeah. That, 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 is, that is some great advice. Uh, is there anything else that we didn't cover, anything that you feel like, oh, wait, this is the last message I need to give out? I mean, I don't know if I could end. I don't know if you could end any better than uh, you did already. 
but um, I can't think of anything. I just hope that everyone's uh, while they're staying safe. I hope they are um, understanding that you know we will get through this. Um, we will come back together. Um, it may look different, but we will see each other again. So just hang on to that hope, I guess. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you, Dallas. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Awesome. Thank you for listening. I'm Dallas Emerson with the IT Guys, and this has been COVID Stories. I'd like to remind listeners that you have a COVID story, and we want to hear it. Send me an email at dallas at itguysusa.com, and let's set up a time to talk about your COVID story. Your story may be just the thing someone needs to hear. Thanks again.